This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. How can you heal cancer and other ailments beyond medicine? My guest today says that if we really want to experience health and wellness that is truly abundant and invigorating, the real answer is not in a pharmacy, but in simple lifestyle changes. What he has to say on weight loss, sleep, food, and treating serious illness in this special interview may shock you, but is actually quite simple. Luke Cortino is a globally renowned holistic lifestyle coach in the field of integrative and lifestyle medicine and an award-winning holistic nutritionist practicing across India, Europe, the Middle East, and the United States. He is the author of the bestseller, The Great Indian Diet with Shilpa Shetty and Eat Smart, Move More, Sleep Right. His recent bestseller, The Dry Fasting Miracle, From Deprive to Thrive, explores the immense potential of the age-old practice of dry fasting and how it can be adopted into our lifestyle to heal and prevent disease. Luke is currently working on his next book with Shilpa Shetty on children's health and with Anushka Shetty on weight loss and lifestyle. While working with clients globally, including superstars and royalty, you'll hear him in this interview often mentioning His Highness, referring to his good friend, the Green Sheikh, Dr. Abdelaziz and Naimi. Luke's approach to prevention and healing revolves around what he calls the four pillars of good health. In this interview, he talks about these as well as the power of the mind to heal illness, even cancer, and why his mission in 2019 is to get people to understand the impact of sleep on their health and well-being, why you shouldn't be forcing your kids to have breakfast, and why exercise is overrated, according to him, amongst many other things. I started out by asking Luke what he means when he talks about healing beyond medicine and why, despite all the latest research and technologies, people seem to be sicker than ever. I try to tell people there's something beyond medicine. I'm not against medicine. We're into integrative medicine. So we're not, I'm not the kind of person who'll say, drop your medicine and eat this herb and chew this twig and stuff like no I'll say continue your medication use it as a crutch but change your lifestyle because if it's a lifestyle disease it's your poor lifestyle that made you sick and it's going to be a change in lifestyle that will be your drug that heals you so when I say beyond medicine I'm talking about things like care family love gratitude appreciation hope the belief in miracles going back to simple things like prayer you know these are things which are beyond medicine and I see that how which you know my specialty is cancer. And if I have to say, we have a lot of people in remission today. There's no magic in the food I give them. It's in the way we enable them, you know, their bodies to heal. I'm a firm believer that doctors just, you know, we dress the wounds, but God heals. There's yeah. this magical power and all of us have that in us. So that's what I basically do, you know, very holistic. How did you get into holistic medicine, holistic healing in the first place? So it was never planned. You know, a lot of people have a strategy in life and when they're setting up their businesses, they have all these strategies. I've always been the kind of guy who just flows with life. And uh, when I was looking at medicine and studying, I realized there was a huge gap. <clears throat> the first thing that struck me was we have fancy hospitals, we have doctors, we have gyms, we have superfoods, we have everything. But if you look, the statistics of sickness, it's getting worse and worse. You know, diabetes, cancer, it's becoming an epidemic. So something's wrong. People are not getting better. People are getting chronically sick. So we're good at 
you know, increasing the longevity of people, which means people are now living to 75, 80, 85, but with suffering. If you look at most people, they have like a prescription, a cocktail of medication. And I figured that medicine is only treating the symptom, which is great. We need it. But what about the root cause? We always want to get to the root cause of, of every single thing. Like if a child is crying and, you know, we just give them a gift all the time and they stop crying, we're not really getting to the root cause of what's making them unhappy. And I feel if you are going to change your behavior, which is necessary for health, we need to look at root causes. And so I started getting deeper and deeper into this. And I had a choice, choose medicine. And I decided not to do that. I said, I want to choose lifestyle because that's what's missing in everyone's lives. People have more today. They have wealth. We can travel more. We have so much more that our parents and our parents' parents didn't have. But yet, all of us are seeking peace. We're trying to throw ourselves into meditation, chanting, all of that stuff. What does it tell us about us right now? That everyone's seeking it because it's missing in us. And there's a huge connection. For me, health starts in the mind and then, you know, manifests in the human body. It's always like that. A very, very few genetic diseases like a child born with leukemia or, you know, a young child who gets struck down with cancer. These things are a little bit, you know, in the dark, you know. But we're now seeing how science explains it starts with the behavior of the mother while the child was in the womb. But that's separate. There's an emotional connect for everything that happens in our lives, every single thing. So I said, I want to fill that gap. You know, there's enough of medicine in the world. There's enough of genetics. There's enough of technology, but we're not focusing on the basics. So I look at these four pillars of balanced nutrition, adequate exercise, quality sleep, and emotional detoxification. Because if these don't work together, you can be eating the best food today. Most of our patients are on organic food and all of these fancy foods, but yet they come to us with sicknesses. <clears throat> I've heard you say that there's so much to unlearn yeah. when it comes to health and wellness. Tell me what you mean by that. So I'll be very honest with you. Today, if you ask me, I'm an MD in alternative medicine. I, I passed out with nutrition and all my you know, certifications, but I choose not to practice under any of those anymore because I feel I have to then practice within the guidelines that define me. So I choose to practice as a lifestyle coach because number one, I don't give medication. So I'm, it's free and legal for me to do what I want because you know, no one can sue me for telling you to breathe more, to eat right, or to move more, or to sleep better. And I feel that's what I need to do because our nutritional curriculum, for example, a lot of it is controlled by the food lobbies. So for example, they say breakfast is the most important meal of today, but today I say it is not the most important meal. But because it's funded by breakfast cereal companies, you know, I mean, they teach, they make us learn what they want. It's the same thing we know a lot of the pharmaceutical, um, a lot of the medical curriculum is funded by the pharmaceuticals because they want the doctors to tell you how to treat a disease, which means the doctor can't really practice out of their framework that they have taken an oath to. Mm. So I know doctors, you know, I won't mention hospitals, but across the world who know that if I give this turmeric pill to my client, I know it can make a difference to their inflammation, but they just can't do it because it's not defined in their curriculum. So it doesn't allow us to think out of the box. Now, I understand we need these rules and guidelines because we don't want quacks practicing or, you know, saying that take this pumpkin seed and it'll remove your cancer because a lot of people do that we don't want to do that but you're not making a claim you're trying to tell people think beyond the framework which is as simple if people aren't breeding the right amount that's why our stress levels are so high if we're not breeding the right amount that's why we are so acidic all the time we're not digesting our food the right way we're unable to sleep at night but then you look at the medication the sleeping pill medication it's a trillion dollar industry Whereas today, no one's getting enough sleep. No one's getting enough of sleep. So people are take a pill because that's what we can prescribe. But we have people today, we have thousands of people who are no longer on their sleeping medication because they learned how to disconnect their mind 
from the day which enables you to sleep. If I can't disconnect my mind and I'm going to bed with my problems and my mind working, I can't sleep. But through simple things like deep breathing, meditation, prayer, they're able to disconnect their mind and go and sleep deeply. So we're trying to show the world that it's possible. We're not selling them a drug. We're just telling them, listen, go back to simplicity and common sense. And these are ancient practices. All, it's it's not, all there. It's, it's not, not my idea. Right. I released a book called The Dry Fasting Miracle and His Highness actually starts the book with his whole forward. And his Highness Sheikh Abdulaziz in Naomi. Absolutely. So he talks about his story, he talks about his family, he talks about how Islam connects everything. And the beauty is, see, it's not about religion. What I really dislike today you know, there are fanatics when it comes to religion. And that's not necessary. These are people who have a problem. You know, every religion literally talks the same thing. Kindness, compassion, prayer, spirituality. But people Fasting. Fasting. It's part of every religion. It's part of every religion. Why? Again, for physical health and mental health. Because when you're fasting, when I fast, I can meditate and pray unbelievably with that power, which I can't do if I've eaten a heavy meal. Coming up next, Luke gives us insights into the magic of intermittent and dry fasting and why breakfast might not be the most important meal of the day. You're going to want to hear this next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Welcome back to Life Beats and my special conversation with integrative medicine specialist Luke Cortino. Here he discusses the magic of activating our body's natural fasting mechanism, why you shouldn't be forcing your kids to have breakfast, and why cutting out carbs for weight loss could be detrimental to your health. So intermittent fasting is very simple. You fast, but you can consume water, plain water. And dry fasting is, it, it, there is no water at all. Okay, Like the Muslim type of fast. Absolutely. You just don't have anything at all. Absolutely. Now, it's Islam. It's also a religion called Jainism, where they don't drink water from sunset to sunrise, which means they're actually doing a dry fast. The other way around. Yes. Now, the beauty is, the beauty is, it's always existed. If we go back to evolution, by the time the sun set, you know, people tried to finish their meals because they wouldn't have light. They finished their meals, they stopped drinking water, okay? And then unlike us who put on all the bright lights and watch Netflix and TV and all, they communicated. That's why they had social functions. They would communicate, dances, all of that, and they slept early and they woke up early. Now, when they woke up, they didn't have food ready for them. They didn't have fridges. They didn't have boxes of cereals. They had to go and search for their food. This takes us back to evolution, the hunters and gatherers. So you wake up and you go searching for your berries and your fruits and your tubers or to kill an animal. So by the time they probably ate their first meal, it was already midday, which means our, our body already has that fasting mechanism in it. It's called famine and feasting. That's why people didn't die because of that. People died of starvation when crops were burned down, when there was drought and stuff like that. Prolonged. So, prolonged yes, yeah. prolonged. But even then, the human body learned to deal with it. Which is why a lot of us don't wake up hungry in the morning. Very few people actually woke up, wake up hungry. And if you ask children, most children, the biggest problem for the parents are feed them and send them to school. And I'm trying to tell parents, they are not hungry. Don't feed them. They're still in elimination. You know, there are two phases of fasting that we look at. The science and the magic of fasting. It's the building phase and the elimination phase. So in the fasting phase, that's your elimination phase. That's when your body's doing magic. It's cleaning you up 
rejuvenation, repair. So the beauty of the elimination phase is where all the magic is happening. Our bodies get clean. So, you know, detoxification has become a fad today. People go from spa to spa doing all these. The human body has the ability to detox. We have five beautiful detoxification organs, your lungs, your liver, your kidney, your skin, and your bowels. If all of these are working perfectly fine, the body is detoxifying you all the time without the requirement of green juices and all of these things. That helps, definitely. Mm. But we have it. I mean, the higher power has built all of this intelligence into our body. And if we only use it and give it what it needs. So most detoxification happens while we sleep. So people today could be drinking green juices throughout the day, but if they're not sleeping well at night, they're not detoxifying. You know, so intermittent fasting, they're allowed to have water. Dry fasting, there is no water at all. Now the repair and the healing happens while we sleep and while we're in fasting mode. How and why? There's a simple science. When we're fasting, our digestive system shuts down. Now our digestive system consumes the most energy throughout the day. So that's why, you know, people who are constantly eating are constantly digesting and using energy. And then they have these crashes and they need caffeine and sugar, even though they're eating so much. But in the fasting phase, what happens is all that energy that goes towards digesting can now go towards healing you. Observing what's wrong in the body, boosting your immunity, growing your hair, your skin, detoxifying. All of those functions require energy. If we're expending it on all of our food that we're eating and our constant late nights and stuff like that, we just have to learn to utilize energy the right way. So which is why, why do we say stress is a killer today? Because it's emotionally draining you of energy, which could be used for healing you. So yes, chronic stress can make you sick. It's as simple as that. Most people don't believe it because they think everyone's stressed, but it's making us sick. Yeah. It's making us sick. Uh, definitely. Um, and, you know, you talked about one of the pillars there, detoxification. Right. So let's go through the other three pillars of health and healing okay. that you talk about. I talk about balanced nutrition. And note that I use the word balance because honestly, I mean, nature is balanced. Na nature lives in balance. And we, we push ourselves through these extreme diets like ketogenic and low carb and high protein and all of that stuff where all your body needs balance. Why should I punish my body? What does that mean though when you say balance? Like when I say balance, like if my body type needs carbohydrates, I shouldn't be depriving my body of it. Everyone's body is different. How do you know what your body type is? Yeah, when we mindfully start learning what we do. Like for example, a lot of people think by cutting down carbs, I'll lose weight. You will lose weight, no doubt, because you're cutting down a macronutrient. But a lot of those people also lose their health. Their immunity crashes, their hair starts falling, they start aging rapidly. It's not about cutting down the carbs. It's about balancing the right carbs. Now, if I have a heavy carbohydrate meal at night and I go straight to sleep, obviously I'm going to put on weight. But if I have great carbohydrates in the earlier part of my day, like lunch, early evening, my body's going to utilize that energy. Now, everyone's different. A lot of people go high protein thinking that, oh, I get more muscle and I lose weight. We have protein available everywhere. Everyone has access to protein, but no one's reaching their goals just by increasing their protein. Mm -hmm. Because we have to understand it's not about what you eat. It's about how your body breaks down protein. Everyone's looking at quantity of protein. We need to look at the quality of protein. So, for example my body will take protein and break it down into amino acids. And these amino acids are used by my muscle. So it's not really the quantity, it's the quality. It's the quality of the protein that I utilize what do you in my system. So for example, I can take a scoop of whey protein that says I'm gonna get 20 grams of protein. I can take two tablespoons of pumpkin seeds that will roughly give me about four to five and a half grams of protein. Now, if you look at the quantity, it's far less. But if you look at the quality of the pumpkin seeds, they're a complete amino acid. That's what my muscle needs, not the quantity. If I look at an egg, everyone does egg white omelets and they remove the yolk. It's the most foolish thing to do. You can't separate nature. 
The complete amino acid is the yolk and the white together. That is the kind of amino acid that your muscle needs. You just don't need three grams of protein from your egg white. And that's what we're trying to get people to understand that balance it out for your body. You don't have to put your body through extremes. Most people who get into these extreme diets, it's because they're defaulting in some other lifestyle and punishing themselves by dieting. Like a lot of them don't want to exercise. So they try to go strict with their diet. But now imagine if you can get a little bit of movement and a little bit of balance in your diet. You don't have to go through extremes. You don't have to do extremes at all. Coming up, Luke talks about why, despite what we're hearing in the news, becoming vegan could actually have a negative impact on your health. Plus, he shares his approach to food with his daughter and his advice to parents. You don't want to miss that next on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. Welcome back to my conversation with holistic medicine expert Luke Cotino. Here he shares with me his approach to food with his daughter and why the age of three is vital for kids and how they form lifelong habits. Here he begins by telling me why switching to a vegan diet doesn't necessarily mean better health. You know, there's this whole veganism and vegetarian, but today my data doesn't show any correlation that non-vegetarians have more prostate cancer, they have more cancers and stuff like that. A lot of my sick patients are vegans and vegetarians. Really? You know, so it's a myth. That's what we're hearing right now. Go vegan, go vegetarian. No, no, no. It's a huge myth. And again, you got to see. See, I understand. I respect the sentiments of people who want to go vegan because of the animal thing and all of that stuff. But if you've been hardcore non-vegetarian, You've been born and brought up. It's in your genes. If you want to transition, you can, but you got to do it very slowly. If you do an overnight change, you are going to have problems in your system. You're going to shock your body into You're going to have psychological else. problems. You're going to have all of these issues together. You can transition, but very, 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 very slow. Yeah, very slow. Because I always give people the example that uh, from the time you were a small infant and you stopped breastfeeding, the food that your parents fed you from the time you were small until you grew up into a young adult. That's the food that grew you. It grew your brain, your musculoskeletal system, your liver, your heart. That is in your genes. And you suddenly move away from that completely. Your body gets confused. There are issues, which is why we always say the best diet for you. If you were not sick while you were growing up, the best diet for you is the diet that you grew up with. Because your body adapts to it. So if I take someone from India and I put them... In South America, and I say start eating quinoa and all of those things. They're going to blow up. They're going to have acidity, you know, because their body's not it's used true. to it. You know, I mean, that's what happens, I, I guess, as well, because, um, you know, with the whole nut allergy thing, yeah. we're not giving our kids nuts when mm. they're little and then suddenly they develop allergies. Is that the same body can't kind of take thing? it, of course. Absolutely because right. We haven't been made used to it. So are we doing something wrong as well with our kids then in terms of how we introduce them to food, to nutrition? What should we be doing there? We should bring them up on a balanced diet, which was staple to us. Mm. We should not be afraid of all of these things. We should not try to take everything from the West and say, my child's going to grow up on a green juice and all of these things. No. If we grew up fine on the food that we ate, and go back to us, we ate white sugar. We had white sugar in our tea and coffee. We had white bread. We had all of those things. Diabetes at that time was touchable. But today, people blame the food. I always say the problem is never with the food. The problem is with the person eating it. You know, we either misuse it, we overeat it, we abuse it, you know, all of that stuff. It's our lifestyle. Because you're going to be writing a book for kids. Absolutely. You're doing a book yeah, for kids. I'm doing a book and you for have kids. your daughter. 
Yeah. I believe. What's her name? Tiana. Tiana. Yeah. She's beautiful. How old is she? Thank you. She just turned five. Oh, she bless her heart. Five. She's yeah. absolutely adorable. And I see her on your social media. But, you know, so, like, that's the thing. You know, what are you teaching her? What should other parents be doing as well, like you said? So I'm teaching her not to be afraid of food. Till the age of three, we never gave her sugar, okay? And she didn't ask for it. Because my belief about sugar is when the child can understand okay the good and bad of sugar that's the time i gave it to my daughter when she can understand hey you can have this but do understand that if you overeat it these are the problems that it can create till the age of three she can't understand so it's creating an immediate addiction when i give it to her and if adults can't give up sugar they're already addicted imagine what it's doing to a child whose motor and sensory skills are not yet completely developed so my whole idea with sugar was and you know, it, she never missed it. And everyone around, you're being cruel to your child. She was a happy child. But when the moment she could start understanding and I could explain through stories, because I believe that children learn best through stories. So I would explain everything through stories and all of that stuff. So today, she eats sugar. She has a treat day. She, when she asks for it, we negotiate with her. So her treat day is a Sunday. But if she wants something on a Wednesday, we tell her, you choose, Wednesday or Sunday. She chooses, I'll have it on a Wednesday and I won't have it on a Sunday. So I'm still giving it to her, but we're able to reason and talk. So it's in her subconscious mind. So I have this belief that she'll never go overboard with it. And there'll be days that she may binge when she grows up, but it'll always be in her subconscious mind. Do it responsibly. And that's what we need to teach our children, not to be afraid of food. Because you know what, children, if they start rebelling against food, you know, it's most children who are picky eaters and stuff like that today, it's because their poor parents have forced them to eat it. Mm. Children will go through phases. Yeah. You have to flow with it. So that's a great approach for somebody who hasn't had kids yet or is starting <laughs> from scratch. But what yeah. about those of us who, you know, we have our kids and yeah. maybe we didn't apply that approach and maybe now there's a problem. I think it's always great what I've noticed with children and I always say this and I want to say it right now. Between the age of three and seven, okay, their subconscious mind is open like a sponge. Whatever you want to teach them for life, this is the age group that you put the ideas in their head. So whatever values I want to teach them, which is why, I mean, why do children learn languages best in this age? They're like a sponge, you know? So I would like families to get together and involve their children in foods and lead by example and realize that we have to admit as parents that we've been doing it wrong. Okay. And that's why we have so much of disease and, you know, not negotiate, keep them involved. Children love to be involved. They may still reach out for that packet of chips, but they're going to do it with awareness. Believe me, they will do it with awareness because we have a lot of these, you know, classes that we take for children. And it's unbelievable. They want to know more and more and more because all of them in their families have been told, don't do this, you'll get diabetes. Don't do they put, they, They're trying to bring change through fear. We should never try to bring change in anyone's life through fear. It should come from understanding, reasoning, and children ask the most fantastic questions. So if I'm trying to get my children off aerated drinks that I teach, I just still show them a video of how people use Coca-Cola to clean the toilets. And that just gets into their mind and I just say, imagine what it's doing to you. You know, I mean, and that just starts them thinking and they start asking questions. Doesn't mean they all get off coke, but they start doing with awareness. They go home and they start telling their parents. And, you know, I teach them about constipation because so many children in the UAE are constipated. You know, they don't have time to go to the loo in the morning because of schools and stuff like that. And I just ask them, I say, like, would you put your hand in the pot and take your poop out and play with it? And they're like, no, we would never do that. I said, why would you keep it in your stomach for so long? And then I get calls from the parents the next day that, hey, our child's sitting on the pot in the morning. Because I tell them, what, what would happen if we keep your poo-poo in the world? You like flies around, you like worms. I said, you want that happening. So you see, children learn through stories. 
and it's not true fear it's true reality that's exactly what would happen to poop if we keep it in a lab petri dish yeah. right so i believe children and adults work and learn through stories yeah. and we should use that as a medium but you go to a class that tells you diabetes don't do this don't do that we're never going to learn that way we may get the concept is that what's missing because it seems like all of us you know we have that information mm-hmm. and we it's been drilled into us to death but and yet people just don't do it Absolutely. what's the missing link is it that or is it something else coming up next luke reveals that one thing that stops people from taking action and he talks the power of the mind to heal the body even from serious illness this is pulse 95 you're listening to the life beats podcast Life beats. Life beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse ninety five. Ninety five. I'm in conversation with Luke Cortino in a special interview exploring all aspects of holistic health. Here, Luke shares a powerful story about the power of the mind to heal the body, and he tells me the one thing that stops people from taking action, despite knowing what to do. It's motivation. it's motivation that's missing in most people like i always tell you you know i do a lot of videos out there and I, and i'm proud to say we we've, we've got thousands of people from around the world who have changed their health and diseases by just watching our videos and of course we have paid programs for people who don't want to do it and they want hand holding and some people need hand holding but uh, the one thing that is missing is motivation i have people who study those videos and start practicing it with discipline and they heal themselves I'm talking from arthritis, eczema, psoriasis. I've got type 2 diabetics who have reversed their diabetes by only following what we tell them to do, change your lifestyle one step at a time. The missing link is motivation. Like you rightly said, the information is all out there. We all know what we should do. How do we find that motivation? We don't motivation? do it. The motivation has to come through all of us understanding our goals. If we've not prioritized health, it's never going to be first on our list. And the thing about human health is we're given a chance every day. We wake up, we have life, so we take it for granted until something happens. You know, every human body has a set point, and it's resilient. The human body, we can push it and push it and push it, but once we cross that set point, it's very difficult to come back. So I always tell people, you don't know what your set point is, so don't take your body and health for granted. And the second thing is, when we're healthy, we feel so good. You know, you know, we've done a lot of work with corporates in Dubai, employees who are unhappy because they're sick. How can you work when you're sick? How can you work when your sugar's all over the place? When you're constipated? When you have acidity? You can't be an employee. You can't be a great employee. Which is why I tell corporates and owners of companies invest in the health of your people because they will improve your bottom line and top line. They will be more productive. If you feel good inside, you're going to give your hundred percent. If I'm sick, I can't give my hundred percent even if I want to. So there's a huge return on investment when companies invest in their people, health wise, and that's lacking in the UAE in a huge way. In yeah. a huge way. Absolutely. Um like you said you specialize in healing cancer, looking right. at cancer. Um so, you know, how do you heal cancer beyond medicine? A lot of people might think, "Oh, hold up a minute. Can yeah. you really?" Of course. So when I say healing, we never use the word kill because when someone's healed from cancer, they're in remission, which means their immune system is now strong enough to keep the cancer cells down. All of us have cancer cells, you me, but what's the difference between us and someone who has cancer? Our immune system is strong. So every time a cell is going to behave abnormally and form a cancer, our immune system wakes up, attacks it, kills it, and we're safe. That's us. Now, someone who has cancer, it's because their immune system failed to recognize and stop this, you know, the uh, spread of these cells. 
and the mutation of the genes. So what happens is with cancer, we enable, we harness the immunity of the person. So we're trying to let them do chemo, let them do radiation. In, the, in its honest attempt, chemo is trying to poison the cancer, radiation is trying to burn the cancer, and through surgery, we're trying to cut off the places which are cancerous. That's the honest attempt of allopathy, but at the cost of the immune system. Now, we try to balance that. So while they're doing through chemo, we're trying to boost up their immune system. Now, for us, you would think immunity. Let's Google the top 10 foods. It'll be broccoli. It'll be cabbage. It'll be, you know, chickpeas. It'll be pumpkin seeds. It'll be coconut oil. It'll be ghee. But again, there's something beyond that. If I'm stressed out chronically, I can't absorb the food that I eat. It's all interlinked. So when I say beyond medicine, take all your medication, do everything that you need. But do you have hope? Half the patients who have cancer don't have hope anymore. They've lost hope. Even the best treatment in the world will not be able to cure them. They have to have hope. They have to have belief. You know, I had I had a case in Dubai, which I should tell you about. There was this girl with cancer. The couple's still living. I mean, she died. We started treating her. The doctors had given up on her and stuff like that. It was a metastatic cancer. She had unbelievable results. She got into meditation. She realized that her own emotional problems were weighing her down. She would sleep two hours in a night. When she started sleeping seven to eight, she could stop walking because her body started having more energy. She was fine for nine months and then one day she said, I'm just gonna to go to the doctor and get a PET scan. She did a PET scan, the PET scan showed small lesions. The doctor looked at it and said, oh, you have a history of cancer, these lesions will become cancerous and you can die in three months. Her husband called me up, she called me up crying and at that moment I just saved the date in my phone because the way she spoke to me, it was like the doctor had pronounced her dead in three months. You won't believe this. She died in exactly three months. There was no problem. She had lived for nine months without an issue. It was her mind that, you know, it's like, which is why I always tell people, and it's in Islam, it's in all of our religion, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Which is why, which is why we should never tell a patient that you're going to die in three months. We're not God to predict that. Now, of course, I mean, if we can see organ failure happening and all of that, we can call the family and say, the patient doesn't have much time and stuff like that. But just based on medical experience and protocol, no one has the right to tell a patient, even out of experience, because there are miracles. I have patients right now who were given three months to live and they're living for their fifth and sixth year. So why should we put that fear? When the human mind gives up, I mean, the body will follow. It's whatever you tell yourself. It's whatever you're being told. To so if we to... grow up telling our children, like, you're stupid, you're stupid. Even if your child is the most intelligent, they grow up thinking they're stupid. They grow up with low self-worth. They grow up with low self-confidence because it's in their subconscious. They've been made to believe that. They've been made to believe that. Like, I always talk about, you know, the politically right word is pleasantly plump. But I'm going to be outright and say that people who are obese and fat, they have this fear that I'm going to get cancer. But let me tell you right now, most of my patients who have cancer, the women, they're not obese. But that fear is put because there's a whole obesity industry that's trying to sell you fat burners and pills and make true fear. Oh, you reduce right now or you'll get cancer. There may be a small link, of course, with diabetes and overweight. We know that. But to make a drastic statement that, oh, it's going to cause you cancer and so many women live in fear, it's not true. In fact, I have so many overweight women whose medical parameters are clean. And I have so many thin women and guys with six packs whose parameters are all over the place. What's the difference? Their mind. Happy people. They don't care about, you know, being judged. They're fine. They're just living life one day at a time and happy. So the, the human mind makes such a big difference such a big difference so how do we uh you know you talk about that a lot the power of the mind uh and then it carries through the body in every other way how do we harness that power of the mind 
That's exactly what he is going to be revealing next hour. He is going to be talking about how we do harness the power of the mind, why exercise is overrated, and the two things that you need to do to reduce your stress right now. Keep it here on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse95. Welcome back to the second hour of Life Beats and a fascinating conversation with globally renowned holistic lifestyle coach and nutritionist, Luke Cortino. This hour, he reveals why he thinks exercise is overrated, how you can reduce stress in your life right now, and the power of visualization to heal the body from serious illness. Here I asked him about how we can start harnessing the power of the mind. I think it's about first visiting our mindsets and our belief systems. Like if I had to ask you, what is your belief system or mindset about love? What is it about parenting? What is it about, uh, you know, health? Everyone, if I put 100 people in this room right now and I ask, all 100 people will have a different mindset. Someone will say, oh, my idea of love is, you know, my husband buying me presents. Someone will say, feeling cared for. Someone will say, you know, different things. They're different mindsets. Somebody might say love is pain. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, that's our mindset. Now, for example, let's take conflict that constantly happens in relationships. doesn't have to be husband, wife. It could be mother, daughter, father, son, all of that stuff. When does conflict happen that causes the most emotional stress? So you have, a, let, let's make ourselves examples. You have a mindset about love. I have a mindset about love. It's different. We're always going to have conflict unless we accept each other's mindset. I may forget your birthday or our anniversary, for example, and that would make you enraged. But I'm showing you love in 10 other different ways. That's my way of showing you love. For you, it's like I shouldn't forget your birthday. Now, if we communicate about this, we're not going to have that conflict because we understand that this is our different way and mindset of love. Same way health. I may say, like, for me, health is I need you to have a size zero figure. And for you, maybe my parameters are fine. I'm a happy person. That's how I am. But there'll be two conflicting mindsets which will cause you emotional distress and me emotional distress because now our egos and prides are up because that's mindsets fighting against each other. Which is why communication is so important. People around the world say, look, how do we reduce emotional stress? How do we reduce stress? And I say there are just two words that you need to focus on, acceptance and letting go. Think of any problem that you have in your life right now and tag it. Tag any problem with either acceptance or letting go. Can I let go of this? If I let go of this, I'll be happier. If I accept this, I'll be happier. So I can have a toxic person in my life right now and I can't get rid of that person. So I should learn to accept the person for who they are. So now that person no longer creates a stress in me because I've accepted them that they are this way. But that acceptance and letting go, they're the easiest words to say, the most difficult to do. It requires strength. Where does that strength come from? Our meditation, When we look inside us and say, why can't I accept this person? Because I have an ego of pride. Why can't I let go of this job which is ruining my health? Because I have an ego of pride. I don't want to give up my designation. You know, so if you really think acceptance and letting go are the two words which can remove anyone's stress. You may still have the problem. Everyone has stress. The problem will stay there. But it's my reaction to the problem. This no longer worries me anymore. I've been able to let go. I can accept this toxic person in my life. I don't allow the person to hurt me anymore because I've accepted him completely. And that's again what every religion in the world teaches us. Tolerance. So it's highness. I take, I take this word away from him. Tolerance. 
It's the year of tolerance in the UAE this year. It's the year of tolerance. Oh, wow. Fantastic. It is the year of tolerance, That's 2019. Need. That's what we need. See, today, everyone has their own mindset, so we want to react. Look at the amount of divorces happening and fights, or even people stuck in unhappy marriages. They're just stuck because they can't tolerate anymore. And we don't have tolerance anymore. We don't have acceptance for that person that, okay, this person is like that. What else can I love about that person? Why should I only pick on the flaws? And if we can work on this, and it's and you can. And you is that can. Where, where get gratitude comes in as well? Because that's part of acceptance. Gratitude Think, and appreciation. Yeah. And appreciation. Yeah. See, I may, I may have person A over there who annoys me or whatever, but I should learn to find something good in that person and appreciate that. And believe me, it changes everything else. Yeah. There is always some good in someone that you can appreciate. And you change that person by appreciating them. So instead of us waiting, we're always waiting for someone else to change. We can facilitate that change through compassion, through kindness, through appreciation, genuine appreciation, not flattery. You know, genuine appreciation. Yeah. Because it's so easy. I mean, like, I love you has become the most common thing to friends and social circles. Oh, I love you, I love you. I said, tell that person, what do you love about them? When you tell your child you love them so many times in a day, what do you love about them? My own daughter told me one day, Daddy, you tell me you love me so many times. It's boring now. She said that to me. And I was like, I still want to tell her because I feel that way. But then I said, let me start telling her what I love about her. And then she's listening more and more and more and more and more and more. I said, I love you. I love the way you smile. I love what you did at that birthday party. You asked someone about their health. You remembered. And it makes so much more sense to, you know, not carelessly use appreciation. And it can change the other person. It's unbelievable. So I think these, this is what I mean by beyond medicine. Beyond medicine. Most of the healing of our patients happen when families come together. You have to find out what the human is craving. They're craving attention. Every human being doesn't need attention. They crave attention. We need it. Like I say, look at a child throwing a tantrum. Why do they do it? For attention. Why do they want attention? They want to be recognized and appreciated. So if we can give them that appreciation, and adults, we throw tantrums too to get what we want, you know, in our fights with our spouses or people and stuff like that. We throw tantrums. Why? We want attention. Why do we want attention? Because we crave appreciation. So that's how much all these little, so I call that vitamin A, you know. Coming up, Luke tells me why he thinks exercise is overrated. You're definitely going to want to hear this. That's next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. So many ads that we are bombarded with every day tell us that we need to be exercising and pushing ourselves hard. But here Luke tells me that we shouldn't be believing everything that we see. So exercise, again, it's overrated. You know, I mean, most of my healthiest people don't need an hour of workout. Can you say that again? It's overrated. It's completely overrated. overrated. I'll tell you why. Because a lot of people think that we need to do extreme things and join CrossFit. It's fine. If you enjoy it, do it. It's not even it's not even that anymore. They're talking about like biohacks now and yeah, like doing that. completely like off the wall, off the planet type of stuff. It's not needed because most, when I pull up data of thousands of patients between 2017 and 2018 December, most of our people who made, who changed their health, who transformed, who lost weight and kept it off. The two exercises that came up were walking and yoga. The third was Pilates, the fourth was dance, the fifth was gymming and stuff like that. It doesn't make gymming and, and thing bad. I'm just trying to show people simplicity. 
by just by just getting a little bit of yoga and because it works with your flexibility because everyone's stiff because we sit all the time and that's that's a huge problem and walking something as simple as that so what we're talking about is movement the human body is designed for movement now whether you put it in crossfit or you do something out of you know out of whack and stuff like that something as simple as walking can be beneficial for our health when it comes to exercise. That's why I call it adequate exercise movement. People are either overtraining or undertraining. We need to find ourselves midway between that. The more we're sitting, the more movement we need. Now, if I have a busy day and I, I, I always wear a gadget that can tell me my steps. So if I've done 10,000 steps, there's no magic in the number, but it's a great benchmark telling me I've been active during the day. Mm-hmm. So even if I miss my workout, I'm fine because I've been active. Mm-hmm. So you see, there are these are little lifestyle changes that can really make a difference. We think, oh, walking, it's not really enough. It's not really going to change anything. Why? Because of the media. They show you all great bodies with a dumbbell in your hand, a protein jar at the side or someone climbing up a rope with all those muscular bodies and stuff like that. It's media. Our subconscious has been programmed by the media, by advertisements and everything we see because you're selling a product. Like I always ask women, how do you sell a woman a good shampoo? By making her feel her hair doesn't look as good as the model in the boat. So you put a model over there with beautiful photoshopped airbrushed hair and a shampoo at the side and you're driving and you wow, say, wow, beautiful hair, oh shampoo, recall value in your mind. You think shampoo is responsible for her hair. It's only an ad. She doesn't probably even use the shampoo that she's being paid for the ad for. No one's going to sell you walking, it's free. Exactly. No one's going to tell you that if you just eat better, you drink water, your hair's going to look better. It's as simple as that. You know, I mean, so this is... That's what I'm trying to sell. I'm trying to sell, when I say sell, I'm trying to sell an idea of simplicity, common sense, lifestyle. Mm. Of course, we sometimes need all of these other things beyond. That's why I call it beyond. I'm not saying it's a replacement. But the most success we've had in our lives today is doing the most simplest things. And that's worked for us. Sleep. Yeah. This is a huge one. My goal for 2019 is to make people worldwide understand that if you change your sleep habits, if you sleep better... There's a lot of change that's going to happen health-wise. Huge changes. Do you know the astonishing thing? Because, you know, I've been trying to monitor my sleep because I was doing the, the morning show, the breakfast show. You wake up at ridiculous hours. And then I was, like, counting the hours that I would sleep. And one hour could make a massive difference Different. to my day mm-hmm. if I got just that one hour extra. And now I know seven is an ideal number for me. If I get eight, it would be ridiculously amazing, but that never happens. I might get five or six, Mm -hmm. and that's the minimum I need to function every day. So that's just the function. So now imagine all the other functions that your body needs. So now in your kind of a thing, because see, let's be honest, everyone can't get that kind of sleep all the time. There are doctors, there are pilots, people who work in shifts. Idea is not the quantity of your sleep, the quality of your sleep. So how can I make those five hours deep, solid sleep so when I wake up I'm rested the question to ask yourself is how do you feel when you wake up there are some people who sleep for four hours deep solid sleep they wake up rested energetic and they're ready to take on the day that's fine but now if you wake up there are also some people who sleep eight to nine hours and are still tired and lethargic and need cups of coffee throughout the day that means their quality of sleep wasn't good so I don't really focus on the quantity it is the depth of your sleep because you go through cycles of your sleep and every cycle of your sleep has a different action happening in the body Detoxification will happen in a certain action. In your complete you know, state of deep rest where dreams happen, there's another action happening. So if we can work on the quality of our sleep, it shouldn't really be a problem. So we shouldn't be scared about that. How do you do that? How do you work on the quality of sleep? By preparing your body for sleep. Cutting away from your gadgets at least an hour before bed. 
engaging in your deep breathing. So like you you help. See, there are two systems in the human body, sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is my stress system. So if I'm going to be in a fight, if I'm going to be in a board meeting where I need, you know, there's stress, I need adrenaline. I need my pressure to be high. I need my brain to work. That's the sympathetic nervous system. It's called fight and flight response. Now, I don't want to be in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest. If I'm being attacked by an animal, let's go back to evolution again. I'm being attacked by an animal. Fight and flight. I need adrenaline. My muscles need to work so I can run or kill the animal. The moment the event is over, I move back into parasympathetic, where I'm resting and digesting. So if I eat my food when I'm stressed, I'm in sympathetic. I'm not going to assimilate and digest my food because I'm in the wrong nervous system. I need to be in parasympathetic, which is rest and digest when I'm eating and when I'm sleeping. If I'm trying to sleep in the sympathetic nervous system, I'm going to struggle to sleep. Well, I may fall asleep because I'm physically tired, but I'm going to wake up. I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep. I'm going to have disturbed cycles of sleep. So sleep and food should be consumed and done in the parasympathetic nervous system. And during the day, we need to be in the sympathetic nervous system. But if I stay too long in the sympathetic nervous system, I destroy every other function in the human body. So now to sleep well at night, I should be able to move from sympathetic to parasympathetic. How does that work? Nature does it by dimming lights, the sun setting and stuff like that. So if I can cut myself away from gadgets at least an hour before bed, because that's white light, that's keeping my melatonin that puts me to sleep away. What produces melatonin that makes us sleep? Dim light, darkness. That's why you have a, a mask and a plane to wear so that you can sleep deeply, produce melatonin, no matter if you're flying at day or, by, or, or night. Or I can make use of something again, which is beautiful, oxygen. The deeper I breathe, the more I move, the quicker I move from sympathetic to parasympathetic. So when you're in stress, you won't be taking deep breaths, you'll be taking shallow breaths. That's a signal to your body to keep you in sympathetic. As we move down to parasympathetic, like, you know, for example, you're driving your car, okay, and if child runs across you hit the brake you save the child but your heart will be beating you'll be taking shallow you'll be gasping for breath there'll be shallow breath because you're in the sympathetic nervous system now you realize okay i didn't hit the child the child is safe i'm fine now you slowly move to parasympathetic your breath will become longer you know this is the beauty of the human body something as simple as oxygen can move me from sympathetic to parasympathetic in a brief second Coming up, Luke talks sustainable food, what that means, and he talks the most meaningful thing that you can do and invest in right now. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. Welcome back to my conversation with holistic wellness coach Luke Cotino. Here he talks the most powerful thing that anyone can invest in right now. But first, he reveals the daily practice that can change the energy in whatever you do and transform your health. So again, what does religion tell us about eating our food? Bless your food before you eat it. Now, when I'm in that uh, action of blessing my food, I'm automatically moving from sympathetic to parasympathetic. I'm calm. I'm praying. I'm offering gratitude. It changes everything in your system. So it's not about just the prayer. Now I can eat better, digest better because I'm, you know, everything's changed. Everything is energy in the human body. So I'm if sorry, you want to, that's so beautiful. I've I've never like thought about it that way. You know, growing up Muslim and, and knowing the prayers and yeah, we just rattle through our everything. prayers and this prayers for everything. In yeah. Islam, there's literally a prayer for absolutely every single action that you do in your life, right. which is astonishing. And now I realize why. And His Highness. 
His Highness always tells me about this and I learned this from him and I always do it. Saying, Luke, every sip of water that you take in a day is an opportunity for you to pray at that point and bless your water. It's unbelievable because how many times do we sip water through the day? So I've learned that from I have a chance to be grateful for that water and pray. Just offer thanks. That's a prayer. I'm changing the energy of the water. Whether it's in a plastic bottle, it's a glass bottle, it doesn't matter now. So it's you know, amazing. It's, it's astonishing. I'm just I'm learning so much. Sleep. I'm that's just... how we can sleep better at night. We've got to disconnect the day and we can sleep better. If I'm carrying my problems to sleep, I'm in the sympathetic nervous there's no way I'm gonna sleep deeply. There's no way I'm going to be able to fall asleep. I've got to disconnect. So use that time before bed to communicate. Talk with your family members. Play some board games. You know, read a book. Anything that can you know, meditate, prayer. And that's how you move to a parasympathetic nervous system. It takes Beautiful. practice though. Yeah. You've written several books and you talk a lot about traditional practices, ancient practices. What are those things that we should be bringing back that we know from our ancestors, particularly, you know, obviously um, Indian medicine, uh, that there is so much in, in ancient practices. What should we be doing? So I, I think the first thing that we should be doing is, you know, going back to what our ancestors did. You know, like very simple. How did our moms and dads break our fevers? You know, using ice packs. They didn't just reach out for a medicine and give it to us. You know, we got to go back into that. There was wisdom in that. Because people put a lot of thought into how to heal us and stuff. Let's go back to our staple foods. What grows locally? What's good for us? Let's try to embrace that. It doesn't mean you can't go out and have an Italian meal or a Greek meal or something like that. But at least 90% of our diet should be, you know, what our parents fed us. Going back to our roots. No matter how fancy quinoa from South America may sound to us. You know, it's not our staples. We've got to align our body with that. Second thing is I want to take away traditions and values. Like things like blessing your foods it can just change the energy of your food i can have a dessert right now and i can change the energy of the dessert i can change it by not eating it with guilt my conscious mind knows guilt but once the ice cream goes in my sister there's chemicals and mechanical functions breaking down the ice cream it doesn't know what the food is it's my conscious mind which is causing the problem so again you know i think we have to eat with less fear you know and we have to be careful of things like overeating like what are the seven deadly sins gluttony greed, sloth, which is laziness, you know, all of these things. There's so much wisdom in those things. No one's saying don't eat your food. No one's saying diet. Eat what you want, but why must you overeat? You know, think as much as you want, but why must you overthink? There's something called having faith and belief. You have a problem, you prayed, now surrender. There are so many people who are so deep into their religion and so anxious. And the question I ask them again is every religion, what does it teach you? Faith and belief. Once you pray with faith and belief, your job is to surrender and not be attached. If you're still attached, you're trying to do God's work. Yeah. You're not supposed to do that. Yeah. You know, and it so, also teaches you, for, for Muslims, it's the middle way. The middle way, That's yeah. always the thing that's emphasized, which is what you're talking about, it's balance. It's all balance. That's what our parents taught us, the yeah. middle way. You know, you don't have to go through extremes, you know? What you're talking about now speaks to the whole idea of a sustainable food chain. Right. Um, and this is something that you're very passionate about. Tell me more about what that means and, you know, your goals towards that. Right. So since I use food as medicine and it's been really successful, the next thing is where do I get this medicine from when we have genetically modified food and all of these foods? Now, UAE, we get our food from everywhere. That's fine, but we can get quality food. So when we truly support the farmers... You know, we're supporting companies that are doing genetically modified. They're making the world believe that there's a shortage of food and all of that stuff. And you need all of this stuff. Okay, that's not the problem. We're not supporting our local farmers who grow stuff. 
So if we support, if you go back into the wisdom of the world, every village or city or settlement had their own little market. They had their own little worship place of worship. So a community so, was sustainable. Formed. Absolutely. You had a community, so everyone grew. But today, when all these, you know, we're getting in our apples from Fiji and our kiwis from New Zealand and all of that stuff, it's coming in freights and sea for so long, sprayed with pesticides because it has to last that long. But we're not so supporting the local food chain. Every place has a local food chain. If we start supporting that, we break down the markets, all of that. But we're not doing that because everyone wants stuff like this. People in India want blueberries that don't even grow in our country. And they're not eating the normal fruits. Like we have something called the Indian gooseberry, which is the highest amount of vitamin C. And people are not eating that because they think they're going to get more health benefits from a blueberry. You know, so we have to change the, the way people think about all of these Again, things. it's the advertising, I think, isn't it's it? It's the advertising and the media. Told. And there's also the whole thing of your status. Right, oh, I got my berries from New York. You know, big deal. I mean, it doesn't matter where it came from. You still have a, you still have diabetes. Let's talk about that. You know, let's not talk about, you know, where you're getting right. your foods from and stuff. Let's talk about what you're not doing and what you should be doing. So, And again, that builds relationships within the community. And you're giving back. It's karma. Yeah. You're supporting your own people. Yeah. You're supporting your own, you know, you're, you're making... So if we're, if we're supporting the farmers, we're supporting the soil, you know, the usage of soil, which has to be tilled. But today people don't do that because we can grow it out of seeds in a controlled environment and we don't even need that. But to maintain the flora and fauna of the sea and land, soil has to be tilled. It's as simple as that. Yeah. We have to do this to keep the food chain working. And we need to understand origins, you know, and teaching ourselves, teaching yeah. our kids. It's very about, important. You know, values. Yeah. Values, where we came from, our roots and all of that stuff. It is so important for us to understand, you know. Yeah. And that's what religion does. A lot of people don't see it that way. They see it as fanatical, but they don't understand that there is roots. Like His Highness always says, look, do you know the similarities between Christianity and Islam? And he explains it to me, and I didn't even know that. And he explains it from such a non-religious way, but just to show you that what is common between our religions? Compassion, kindness, faith, belief, surrender. And we've not even spoken about anything else, just these five words, tolerance, forgiveness that's the basis you know, of any basis. proper spiritual system right you know at the end of the day you know you take care of your own soul you take care of other people yeah. full stop people say well, Luke, you know what makes you happy i said giving back I said you know we have everything in the world we still feel empty i said give back i said don't sit and write a check anyone can write a check go and give your time that is the most meaningful thing you can ever ever do and that's what's built in for all of us to give back. Anyone can donate and all of us can donate so easily. There are apps where you can just click and donate like 100 dirhams or 500 dirhams and stuff. But we feel good for that second, but you don't feel complete after that. It's not like giving you that kind of, you know, meaning where you go and put yourself and spend like half an hour in an old age home giving someone time because none of us want to give us time away, right? We're too busy with our lives. But when we learn to do that and teach that to our children, it's the most unbelievable, most fulfilling thing you can ever do. And these things are, again, beyond medicine. I tell a lot of my patients who have cancer, volunteer at the hospital where you're getting treated. You will learn through their suffering and their... You learn compassion, right? How do we learn compassion when we see other people suffering? Because right now, we think the problems that we have are the worst. When you see other people's problems and all of a sudden you realize, my problem is nothing compared to... What do I learn? Compassion. It's as simple as that. We can't learn compassion out of books. We can't learn them through stories. We have to learn it through real life experiences. Yeah. So I only learned compassion when I started getting into this line and seeing people dying and people 
I'll handle some of the wealthiest people in the world's royal family. Whatever. It doesn't matter how much you have. It just doesn't matter how much you have if you don't have the basis of gratitude, appreciation, the ability to care, love. If you don't have love in your life, there is nothing. This love doesn't have to come from a husband or wife. It could come from a father, a child, a friend, a colleague. It could come from your social circle. But without love, nothing can ever work in the human body. Nothing. Nothing at all. Which is why a lot of the families that we fix, we just brought the families back together and say, listen, your job is to give your mother love. And when they do that, the healing is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Coming up, Luke talks the power of visualization to heal the body of disease. Lots more to come here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95. It is Life Beats on Pulse 95, and we're getting a deep insight into holistic health and how simple lifestyle changes can help heal us beyond medicine from Luke Cortino. Here he talks the power of visualization and the one thing that drives him in his work. Uh, the ability to change people's lives. That's it. That's it. Every time I get a report and I see, wow, no longer on cholesterol medication or a patient who comes back and say, Luke, I'm healed. And there's nothing bigger. There's no joy bigger than that. And that's what drives me to go on. The blessings I get from people, the appreciation I get from people, that keeps me going on and on and on. And I know I'm on the right path. You know, I mean, you have, I mean, everyone trolls everyone. I have a lot of people who troll me and say, oh, this, that, you have no proof and no science and stuff. So I don't need science. I don't need science to tell but you to breathe more. They just had, like, I just read literally the other day exactly what you just said. Spending more time with your mother allows her to live longer, longer and yeah, happier. Absolutely. Everything but see, the you thing say is, is getting supported by science. Yeah, and you know, I could spend a lifetime trying to prove it, but no one's going to buy it because you can't make money out of what I'm doing. And that's the sad part of it. So I'm like, I'm not going to waste. I'm not going to let a lot of people come and say, Luke, you have so much data, publish a paper. I said, and whose life is it going to change? I'd rather do what I'm doing and change one life at a time instead of trying to prove and get in some medical journal that this is fine and that is this is going to work because I know it's changing people that's all that matters for me right now I'm not trying to change science right now if it's working it's working and yeah. you know I mean we wouldn't be at this level if it didn't work it's as simple as that yeah. you know so yeah. I have extreme faith and belief in the human body and that's what I do our healing is if we're able to enable that body to you know start healing there's no magic in what we do mm. the magic is in the human body and the mind and if we can leverage that, we see the most beautiful healings, like like unbelievable things that we don't expect. I had a multiple sclerosis patient for four years in a wheelchair when she met me four years ago. Last year, she came walking into my office out of a wheelchair with a, with a, with a report which said no sign of disease, which is impossible to usually see in a multiple sclerosis. I asked her, what healed you? Don't say me and all of that. I say, no, Luke was on your plan. The one thing that healed me. I did all of your food. I believe it contributed. She thought, you taught me how to visualize. You taught me every night before I sleep, visualize me, myself, walking out of the wheelchair. Without a wheelchair. Visual. She said, Luke, I did that every morning, every night. And I always tell people, when you visualize, don't worry how it's going to happen. Just visualize what you, how you want your life to be. Visualize. Have that mental image in your subconscious. And she said, that's what changed her. She did a story on Facebook. It's out there for the world to see just the power of visualization now for me that's like wow just that 
So I learn things all the way, all the time. For some people, it's visualization. For some people, it's just some people I use placebos. You know, they just want something. Give them a sugar pill, and I say, you take it this way, dilute it with a little bit of water, and you have it every day, and your acidity will disappear. I've given them a sugar pill. The acidity disappears because they believed in the placebo. That's how powerful the mind is. <laughs> oh my so everyone's different. You know, we can't. You know. And, you know, a lot of people like medicine doesn't recognize placebos completely, although all the time they see placebos. Now, you can misuse a placebo. I can take this pill and say, like, I'm selling this pill and it'll take away your cancer and make a lot of money. That's fraud. That's fraudulent. That's a, that's a fraud if you're gaining something out of it. If I'm using a pill to tell you that, hey, listen, take this. A lot of children, anxiety before exams, I take, make sure you, you take exactly half a spoon, exactly one hour before your exam. And I, I stress and they're like, hey, if you do it this way, you'll be fine. They're fine. I've given them nothing but water and a little bit of, you know, belief. like, yeah, belief. In something. So they're holding on to that in, and they're in fine. themselves. So we can use placebos, right? Yeah. So I'm saying we should never pronounce debt on a patient. Nor should we give them false hope. You can say, listen, your disease has progressed, but now we've got to believe in miracles. Now we've got to believe in this. There's something called prayer. No one should ever pronounce debt on someone. No one should. We don't have the right. We're not God. We don't have that. Is that Power as well, that. you know, what produces super, what we sometimes look at and think, oh my God, that's superhuman achievement. Mm-hmm. It is just utilizing the same thing, the power of the Your mind. mind. Of course. Absolutely. People who bend a spoon or a fork by just looking at it, they're doing it in their subconscious mind. That's the power of the subconscious mind. Let's give this people in India, we have a lot of poverty. So we have... We have women who come with breast cancer from villages. Okay, some NGO has gone and detected them with cancer. Now bring, they bring them to the city for chemotherapy. These ladies come and they don't even know what cancer is. They don't even know what chemo is. They're laughing and talking to one another while getting their chemo. While the people who have Googled every side effects, you know, they're falling, they're vomiting and all of that stuff. They're getting the same chemotherapy. They walk out of the room once their chemo is done and they go shopping. You know, what's the power of the mind? They just didn't know. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. Their mind is open. They don't know. They're not, they're not seeing the disease as serious. They're not seeing the side effects of chemo and all of that stuff. Like I always tell breast cancer patient women, if you think you're going to lose your hair, you will. Because all breast cancer patients don't lose it. The chemo drug says that possible loss of hair. But it doesn't have to happen to you. Look at menopausal women. Most of them are talking about it 10 years before they get menopause. It's bad. You get hot flushes. Your sex drive changes. All of these problems. They manifest it. Our moms didn't even know. They just woke up one morning, the period stopped. That's it. We're manifesting it. The more you talk about stuff, the more it happens. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Luke, it's just been an absolute joy and a pleasure. And I've learned so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. So many great insights into our bodies, health and relationships with Luke Cortino. And if you missed any part of the interview, it will be available as a podcast to stream, to download, to share. Just search Life Beats Pulse 95 on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and Andrami. And make sure you subscribe. You'll know as soon as it drops. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10am.